When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are incredibly happy to be joined by Katie. Thanks for coming. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. Now Katie has been through infertility, had IVF in order to fall pregnant with her daughter Ottilie, who was tragically born sleeping and Katie has been a proactive member of this community since then. So Katie, it's so nice to be joined by you and obviously we can see you but um, our listeners can't. Wearing a beautiful tie-dye t-shirt, love it. Walking out on the 90s <laughs> rave You've got to, you've got to, why not? <laughs> so starting with your IVF, would you be able to just uh, run us through kind of some of what, you, what you've been going through over the last years? Yeah, sure. So um, we got married in 2012 and we pretty much started trying, as it were, for a baby we kind of did the whole like not 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 trying thing um, and that didn't work out so well for us and it took me quite a few years to realize that actually some help was going to be needed here um, yeah. and went into the NHS and did all of the kind of fairly standard tests which I found really difficult I found that quite a stressful process at the start because well I guess the outcome being that I had the really helpful diagnosis of unexplained infertility when I got that diagnosis it it took me a really long time to accept it so the NHS at that point said well we could basically sign you up for IVF today if that's what you want to do um my husband will laugh listening to this because I always say I'm not that competitive but actually I was being almost like competitive with myself I, could, mm -hmm. I kind of couldn't accept the failure I will prove them wrong yeah yeah like what do you mean yeah. I can't do it of yeah. course I can do it because whenever I put my mind to something that I really want I can make that happen so obviously I'm going to be able to make this happen too and actually in hindsight I think I wasted time I had a bit of an epiphany it was one Saturday morning I was about 39 and a half and I just I was sat on the sofa and I just thought what are you doing this isn't going to change unless you change it and actually IVF is something that you need to investigate more so I did a little bit of googling found a couple of clinics one of them had an open day the following Saturday 
and I just said to my husband you know this is I think this is something we need to investigate and yeah we went for it so we started treatment I guess towards the end of 2017 yeah would have been 2017 and then started the first cycle in the spring of 2018 which didn't go so well uh, I responded really well to the drugs and egg collection went well so I was 40 and I got 11 eggs which felt like a really positive result and wow. everybody was kind of talking about you know that's great and my AMH levels have never been a problem um, what's AMH I, sorry sorry yeah um AMH I believe is the hormone by which they can calculate your egg reserve and I've always been told that for my age my egg reserve feels quite good and healthy okay um and 11 eggs is a decent result I think for lots at lots of age groups so it felt like that was really positive and we went away from the clinic and it was great because I hadn't been drinking for ages and I'd had a general anesthetic so I had a little bit of oblivion which was fantastic and you sort of come and <laughs> come out on this little sort of slightly post-drug haze and headed home and um and the next day we had a phone call to say that only three of those 11 eggs had fertilized. I didn't understand how quickly the numbers could drop. So from this sort of elation of having 11 eggs, they're being told that actually you've only got three that are left that are any yeah. likely to get anywhere. And then somebody said to me, your eggs were dark and grainy. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. And what are they supposed to be like? Don't tell yeah. me what they were like, is that, I mean, I don't know. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It was obvious it was a bad thing from what she was saying. So apparently your eggs, a healthy egg would be uh, white and uh, like almost sort of pearlescent in, in its uh, texture. Yeah. Um, and mine were dark and grainy, which will be forever like embedded in my brain. As yeah, that's eggs a really dark and grainy. Thing, <laughs> yeah. So. I've got like a vision of these like little raisins like popping yeah, like, out. Like little witchy eggs. <laughs> yes. Like, that live in a forest. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for that. I hadn't got that bit, but now I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so, <laughs> um, so we got to that stage uh, and then three fertilized and then part of the aim of IVF is to get to five days and you get a health uh, blastocyst stage at five days and, um, and none of our eggs made it to, to day five. Oh, I'm so sorry. So yeah, that was, that was hard work because I guess going into IVF, I had believed that you might not necessarily get pregnant yeah. on the first go, Yeah, but I hadn't really understood that you might not get to the transfer stage. Like that's yeah. the bit that hadn't That's rough, isn't it? Yeah. To have all your kind of dreams shattered. I mean, it's never going to be, but to have it done so quick, overdone, bam, gone. Yeah. Yeah, it oh. just felt like such a a, a massive fall, and uh, yeah, it it just totally took the wind out of my sails. I didn't realise it was um, I didn't realise that was possible. So yeah, that was our first round, and then we went on reasonably quickly to have um have a second round, and I changed a couple of things. Um, so I'd I'd been seeing a, an acupuncturist during the first round, who actually was probably like, I mean, it was just an awful experience, and I don't know why I didn't stop it earlier. But at one point, she suggested that um, that maybe I wasn't getting pregnant because my belly button wasn't quite clean enough. 
I wow. <laughs> See, this is what you have to laugh. Laura and I have very different opinions on acupuncturists. It's it's under Laura's umbrella of airy fairy shit. shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, however, <laughs> I never have periods, and you swear I have, by it, don't you? I swear by it because I never had periods until I went to see an acupuncturist. Oh, right. And okay. Two weeks after my first visit to an acupuncturist, I fell pregnant with my son. Wow. Didn't have a period between my children. We decided we wanted a couple of years between them. Had my son. He was turned one. I hadn't had a period. Went to see an acupuncturist. My acupuncturist. Two weeks later, I was pregnant again. Wow. So for me, it's not airy fairy bullshit. But I, he never told me that the cleanliness of my belly button was an issue. <laughs> no. <laughs> if he had, I'd have. That would have yeah. been a definite red flag. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't go well. Um, Did you clean your belly button? Well, <laughs> yeah. when I anything, then got pregnant yeah. and my belly button flattened out, it's just a different colour on the inside. It's not like <sighs> it was dirt. I mean, obviously, the belly button wasn't dirty, but um, it's just the skin yeah, tone. It's just a different colour. And I was like, <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. But also, I had a really difficult conversation with her after that first round had failed. She made me feel so shit about myself because she almost sort of suggested that if I really wanted to get pregnant, I should give up my job, have acupuncture three times a week. Oh, wow. Relax, like in inverted commas, the famous, if you just relax, it will happen. Um, And she actually said to me, well, it depends how much you want it, because I know I would have done anything to have my son. (gasps) I was like, no, hang on a minute. Like, you don't get to say stuff like that to people because actually how do you think I'm going to pay for the IVF if I'm not working for please tell me that's the last time you saw her yeah it is the last time I saw her (laughs) and actually what happened was I'd gone to see her I just discovered that that it had all failed she didn't lay a hand on me she lectured me told me I should give up work then went oh half an hour was up I will still need to charge you did you, is she still alive? <laughs> it's just. <laughs> in, and at that point, I was feeling really vulnerable. Of course you were. And yeah, I bet you walked away just feeling absolutely mortified. I felt, I felt awful, yeah. Because yeah. She, was, she was making me feel like it was my fault. And mm. I had done everything I could possibly do. And I just, I, I, yeah, that's, that's not good you feel shit enough about yourself you don't need someone else saying it do you but also you don't know you don't need anyone saying that but someone who has that kind of position of responsibility as a therapist that's absolutely not okay no it really did upset me um sure and actually when I had acupuncture with that lady I didn't feel anything but I did find a new acupuncturist she was a homeopath and uh, is a homeopath and acupuncturist and I can honestly say when she the needles that she used I felt something it felt really active I felt Mm. like a change in my body like there was Mm. a there was a different energy from that I got from her and I just I I we can never know can we but she she gave me some homeopathic remedies and acupuncture and then when I had the second round of IVF I got 11 eggs again and I spoke to the same um, embryologist after they'd um, fertilized and she said, I don't know what you did between those two egg collections, but it's incredible the difference in the quality of eggs that we've got. Not grainy um, anymore. They weren't dark and grainy. These were all white and pearly. Lovely. Oh, that's amazing, so, yeah, isn't it? That worked really well. Um, and we, so we had 11 
five of them fertilized and then we had genetic testing we had the genetic testing and it came back that two of those were chromosomally sound uh, we had one of those put back and one of them frozen and the one that put back worked and I fell pregnant so tell us about your pregnancy with Ottilie then I loved it I loved being pregnant from the moment I knew I was pregnant um, um, but I was one of those pregnant women who was never sick didn't feel poorly I was a bit knackered but then that's just normal and yeah I had pretty much a, a textbook pregnancy um, mm. I loved it absolutely loved it and so talk us through what happened so towards the end of my pregnancy I, I had a little bleed um, mm. which I went into hospital and they um, it, took, it took two nights in hospital three male doctors and then finally a female doctor looked at me and went yeah that bleed's coming from outside not inside you don't need to worry about it I'm not quite sure what the male doctors were looking at but they weren't looking in the right place um, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, which is a little bit so, worrying, really. so many jokes um, yeah so many. so many so many I won't bother. Um, <laughs> but they uh so they sent me home and said would I go in for a scan uh in a couple of days time and I think at that point I was like 36 seven weeks I think um 30, 36 37 weeks mm. um and actually you know there genuinely was nothing to be worried about at that time but they just wanted me to have a scan but I also had a scan because of I um I was consultant led because I was an IVF pregnancy and I was over 40 so I had a late scan anyway right mm. so I went in for that scan and um the fluid levels were dropping or had dropped so they were a little bit worried about it nobody was like desperately worried nobody was kind of panicking but um they wanted me to come back in a week but that kind of fell over easter so they said could i come back on the following tuesday which i did i had the second scan and fluid was pretty much the same and again everybody was kind of pretty much okay but they said would i go on the heart monitor which i did and the heartbeat was fine and then the same lady doctor who, I, who had identified the bleed as being on the outside rang me the next morning on the Wednesday and said, I want to think about induced, you being induced. So, you know, that's something I really want to think about. And I didn't want to do it. I felt mm. really uncomfortable with the idea of being induced. And, and I think that's a couple of reasons. I think one, we're very much told kind of NCT classes and pregnancy yoga and the books you read and all of those things that you know your baby will come when you're ready and, and when, when, it, when he ready. or she's ready yeah yeah and uh, induction means that your labor will be longer and more painful and you will have less control and you know all of these things mm. and I just felt really uncomfortable with it I didn't want to do it um, and so I said to her would you you know, could we do it after the weekend? We were coming up to Easter weekend and I said, could we do it later? And she said, yeah, absolutely. You know, no, no, no drama, but I'd really like you to come in and do the heartbeat monitor today. So I, Wednesday morning, went up, jumped on the heartbeat monitor and absolutely was, everything was absolutely fine. Um, but then they needed me to wait and sit for a doctor and it was Easter holidays. So absolute bedlam. Yeah. Um, it was boiling hot. It was a really hot day. And I waited about four hours, I think, three or four hours to see the doctor. And they, she sort of said, look, I'd really like to induce you, but 
it's kind of up to you. You can come back and do the heartbeat monitor every day and then we'll get you through the Easter weekend. And I just said, no, let's, let's do the induction. I'm not doing this every day because this is madness. Yeah. Um, I was tired. I was hot. I was 38 plus six. Yeah. I, I was, I was done. I was ready. Yeah. So she did a sweep and sort of said, go home, come back. We'll induce you in the morning. And so I got up, made the phone call to the hospital. They said they still had the bed got back into bed baby kicked Ben sort of snuggled up and, and we had a little cuddle and we felt the baby move we didn't know she was a girl at that point got up packed everything up got the hospital bag closed and went up to the hospital and within about 20 minutes of being in the hospital they um, did the bedside scan and they were sort of the doctor was a bit strange she sort of said a couple of things and then he said I, I had a oh your blood is really full and I said well should I just go to the bathroom and he went well yeah that might help so I went to the bathroom what were you thinking when you went to the bathroom were you starting to worry I felt like there was something brewing definitely but they weren't telling you or they hadn't said anything at that point but when I came out of the bathroom the doctor the midwife and about three or four other nurses and doctors were stood they still had the scanning machine with them and they were whispering. Right. Oh. And at that point, I just thought something's not right. Something's really not right here. And I went back and I said to Ben, you know, something, something's not right here because they're all over there and they're talking in really hushed tones and it, and it doesn't feel right. And then they came back and the midwife looked at me and said, can we just take you to a side ward? Oh, wow. And then you just know because nothing good happens in a side ward on a maternity unit, right? so no. I just knew and went into this sort of bright white room um, and they did another scan and at that point they just said I'm sorry there's no heartbeat um, and it's just yeah I mean just the most awful so I was, I was 39 weeks I was being told there was no heartbeat I just had this realization that they weren't like hitting the big red button on the wall and you know I couldn't hear anybody running nobody was coming it it was done yeah. it was too late this couldn't be fixed yeah mm. um my immediate reaction was like well maybe it's an emergency cesarean like you know let's get this done let's yeah, let's make this happen um I think your brain almost goes into sort of survival mode doesn't it like absolutely. oh yeah and my bump was moving which oh wow so I think there's two things there obviously when you're carrying what we later found out was almost seven pounds of baby. Obviously, when you move, mm. that weight is going to move in the fluid that is that is in yeah. your body. But also, I was having Braxton Hicks, so my my bump was physically moving, and it continued to until I went into surgery that night. Um, so, Katie, this was how many hours after you were laying in bed that morning and you felt her move? Oh, like two, what? two and a bit hours. Yeah, it didn't. It happened really quickly, and I can't. I, d I don't know at what point. I'm so sorry. Thank That's you. Horrendous. Thank you. It, it, it is. And it, it's the single most devastating sentence that yeah. you're ever going to hear. You know, I'm, I'm sorry there's no heartbeat. And I had three more scans, I think, that morning. And it, finally, they sort of brought the most senior sonographer in the hospital. And she was lovely. And she came and sat next to the bed and she just looked at me and went, I'm really sorry, I can confirm that there is no heartbeat. And at every stage you're thinking, no, they must have got it wrong. They must yeah. have got it wrong. They must have got it wrong. And because my bump was still moving, it just, 
I can't. Did you say that to them? Yeah, I did a couple of times, maybe a bit later. And I just, I, they all sort of went and, and gave us a bit of space. And I, and then it hit me. I was like, all the baby's got to come out. And how, how's that going to happen? And what does a dead baby look like? And how am I going to get a dead baby out of my body? And, and I can't do it. And I very, very, very rarely say I can't, but I just knew I couldn't Mm -hmm. give birth naturally. I just knew that I didn't have it in me mentally. The cesarean was my best route. Um, Mm. And I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of people get sent home and then they come back like a day or two days later and, and they start yeah. the induction process. Um, I often wonder actually whether my body was ready because I was having these Braxton hits. Yeah. And I was moving, I wonder whether I was pretty close to giving birth anyway. But yeah, so we got taken to the bereavement suite and the, the next kind of 10 hours, I think, are, are quite filmic in my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I feel mm. like I, I watched it yeah happen like it, it was such an out of body experience I, I i just sort of sat in this chair and then and your head just goes into all of these most bizarre places and obviously we had to phone people um because our parents and our family all knew that we were in hospital to be induced and i think i'd spoken to my dad on the way into the hospital and i said sort of said to him oh i don't you know don't worry dad nothing's going to happen today so of course then when i rang a couple of hours later uh, there's an immediate like well what's happening I rang my mum first mm. and and spoke to her how did you even get your words out yeah yeah I don't know actually um can't really remember the conversation I had with my mum because I knew mum would be at home I also knew she'd be on her own because she lives alone so I knew it was still early and I, I remember thinking I didn't want to wake her up with that news because yeah. like that's horrific but when I'd been talking to my dad, I knew he was going out to a meeting. So when I spoke to him, I was really conscious that he'd got home. I didn't want to tell him when he was out or he was walking or he was, you know, just about to go into a business meeting or something, which is weird. Like, why was I thinking of those things? I just mm. needed to tell them that they're it's like you Yeah, you're, I think you're in extreme trauma. Mm. Your body and mind goes into some sort of autopilot. Yeah. and just functions and it's yeah. almost like you put something in gear and your body just does what it's supposed to what do it needs and, to. and yeah. what it needs to do to kind of keep you going yeah absolutely I think that's exactly right I think yeah I think I just sort of went through the steps of everything that made sense that I needed to do mm. during the afternoon they they said that they would give me the the cesarean section um, and then they had a couple of emergencies. And so about seven, they, they took me into theatre. And of course, at that stage, they don't have to worry about baby because they can't hurt the baby anymore. So they yeah. can fill you with as many drugs. They can sedate you to a much greater level. Yeah, of course. Um, so they sort of, they got the spinal block in. And, and I, I mean, I literally, they were sort of like poking me they sort of poke can you feel and can you feel here can you feel here and the, ha- the hand was sort of moving up and then I was like well yeah that's my chin before I could actually feel anything um Blimey. because they don't have to worry yeah they've got mm. you know they don't have to worry and the the staff that were in the theatre were unbelievable they were so caring and the surgeon was unbelievable and I, I love the fact that my daughter was born into a room with the most incredible women around her um, mm. 
the doctor who who performed the surgery as she, she said to me right okay Katie I'm going to sew you back up and people kept talking to her in the in the theatre people kind of kept trying to get her attention and she stopped and she stood up straight and she said will everybody stop talking to me I'm putting Katie back together at the moment and I'm about to do her stitches and this is going to be a daily reminder of what's happened today for Katie oh, bless for the rest her. of her life. And this has to be perfect. Nobody talked to me until it's finished. Oh, amazing. And oh, it, was, that. <laughs> uh, it was just the most unbelievably caring, uh, it, it just, yeah, the kindness of, of a doctor over her shift. Yeah, just to acknowledge that as well. Yeah. This isn't yeah. about you just right now dealing with this, this awful situation yeah. at, at this moment acknowledging that this will affect you for the rest of your life yeah, yeah. it That's was it was unbelievable she how was... did that how did that make you feel at the time because she did it in such a authoritative way but with such care and attention we both kind of felt a little bit like like everybody felt a little bit scolded in the room it was like being told off by a teacher and I was a bit like ooh, ooh. and then I realized oh no actually she was talking to me yeah. about me and I guess that that's still the sort of out of body experience that was going mm, on I, right. I, I don't think I fully understood well I didn't fully no, understand. of course um, but how nice that you do now Absolutely. And everybody who looked at my scar in the coming weeks, like midwives and doctors and stuff, without prompting went, oh, that's a good one. And at every, every juncture, I just knew that it was. Because she cares. cares. Yeah. yeah. And that um, is absolute, that is all you can ask for in such yeah. a horrendous situation as someone that yeah. gives a shit. Yeah. yeah. And she really did. We were treated so incredibly well from start to finish. It's being recognised as a person, isn't it? Rather than a patient. A statistic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And they recognised Ottilie right from the start. Yeah. They were so caring with her. And I was given all the normal choices that you'd have with any normal um, birth. So I was offered skin to skin. And actually, it makes me a little bit sad in retrospect that I didn't do that. Um, mm. I was really frightened. Like, yeah. Of course. You don't know what a dead baby's going There's no like. right or wrong I way was, to do these things. No. No, there isn't. Um, and you had to, the present, what you, what you decide at that point in time is the only thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. You know, Absolutely. you can't, you're not armed with information and, and experience. You have no. to do what you have to do. And, you no, know, you, you just have to go with your gut instinct. Yeah. But what it does mean, so they, they took her away um, and they cleaned her up and popped her in a little, um, a little vest and wrapped her up. And so when they bought, her to us she was clean and she was dressed and she was in what they call a cuddle cot um mm -hmm. which is um a special cot that basically keeps the the baby cold mm. um and i held her we both held her that night because she, she we saw her within an hour or so of her being born and she was she was still warm and she was soft but after that night I never took her out of her basket again because she changed and mm, yeah. obviously she, she was getting colder mm. um, and her skin changed, the texture of her skin changed and we spent a lot of time with her over the days that we were in hospital which was just so incredibly special and all of our family met her and they all got to spend time with her as well which is brilliant. But yeah, in retrospect, I don't know what every inch of my baby looks like so there's the obvious things like I'll I'll never know what the color of her eyes was and I'll always know that she had 
the longest legs and the biggest feet you've ever seen on any day. <laughs> like they were um, not my feet they were all had <laughs> they were enormous but i'll never know those little intricate things like i don't know like what, what's one of the first things you do with a baby you know like you squish their little bum and you get your fingers in their chubby little thighs and mm. and i lots of lots of people have the opportunity to bath their babies after they've been salt born and I had that opportunity, but I didn't take it. And, okay. and it does, that does make me a bit sad. I don't, I don't regret the way we did things because as you say, we made the choices we made, but I don't feel like I know every little tiny inch of, yeah. of my baby. And that does make me sad. Mm. Yeah. But she was the most beautiful baby that's ever been born. And I don't care what mm. anyone says. And I think that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, what does a, what does a dead baby look like? Well, she just looked like any other baby who was fast asleep. Um, yeah. And she was hypnotic. Um, yeah. The time we spent with her in that bereavement suite, there were times where we had to say, can you take her back now? Because she was so hypnotic in the room that you couldn't, you couldn't function. And obviously if, you know, I needed a shower or, or any of those things, I didn't want her to just be left on her own, which is mm-hmm. strange. Yeah. And we had some, sort of funny moments that the the bereavement suite that we were in the room that she was kept in when she wasn't with us was sort of just to one side of it with a with a door that led off our our room and one evening she was in there and I think we were going to bed and the light was on and Ben went and found the nurse and asked him to turn the light off because we just didn't like the thought of her being in there with the light on. Yeah. It was night in the time, night time. It was bedtime. Yeah. And, and, you know, she'd gone to bed in our head. Yeah. Yeah. That's just oh, the light. Goodness. And it's funny how those sort of things that feel so normal, we, you know, we were parenting our child. Mm. She, she'd gone to bed and the light yeah. was on and we didn't like that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's strange moment where you find yourself just doing the best that you can to parent. Yeah in the short time that you have and leaving that hospital well I certainly hope I never have to do anything that difficult ever again mm-hmm. um because yeah that was that was rough walking out yeah to knowing that your your baby was still in there and you're never going to get to hold them again see them again and Katie how old would Ottilie be now uh she would have been one in April Gosh, yeah, she probably would have been running around, and I would have been trying to work out how to do a full-time job and have a toddler in the house during this lockdown, lockdown yeah. period. Um, mm. Yeah, we'll, ne- we'll never know. And her first birthday was tough, and it was tough for a number of reasons. Partly because we were locked down. Although I wonder whether actually that did help us a little bit because there was no expectation that we could do yeah, anything other than quite what we nice, could do. really. Yeah, it, there were no options, so we didn't have to make any decisions. That just yeah. was what it was. But it's it's tough coming up to those anniversaries. I think it's something we've learned all the way through from things like the funeral and and everything it almost always feels worse in the anticipation than it does in the doing yeah um and i think the week before her birthday was actually worse than the day itself i think i struggled more the uh, yeah the up. idea yeah 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 so mm. tell us about the future the future mm. um I remember holding Ottilie that first evening and looking at her and I said out loud, this, this can't be it. This isn't it. And that just, 
huge rush of love for a human that suddenly arrived in your life is unbelievable and looking at her at that point I knew I knew I wasn't done yeah. um, mm-hmm. and if I could find a way to make us a family of four because Ottilie will always be part of our family no yeah. matter where we end up she will always be a huge part of it and so we yeah we went back to get our our little frosty in January time oh so we started that in November last year and unfortunately that cycle failed right. uh, which we discovered in February so yeah that was really tough really tough it yeah. brought back a lot of grief it felt like another loss it brought all of our feelings definitely my feelings but utterly right back to the surface yeah I bet um, mm. and it knocked me for sick uh, and had a yet another encounter with a terrible doctor who um I went, I knew I wasn't coping and I went to the doctor to, to talk to them about it. And uh, she, she said a couple of things, including we would normally expect an acute response to grief to last about six months. So this is going on a bit. Oh. Um, so yet again, someone else who I'm not quite sure how they're not walking around slightly scarred. Yeah. An interaction with me. <laughs> but, but I managed not to punch her. And because um, I mean, going to jail isn't going to solve any of this, is it? Um, you certainly can't r- run your campaign as uh, efficiently no. from, from jail. No, no, that wouldn't work. <laughs> I'm not sure they'll have the podcasting mics allowed. No. And I also don't look good in a jumpsuit. So um, <laughs> everyone looks good in a jumpsuit. No. What are you talking no. about? No, not me. No, I can't pull that off. <laughs> So yeah, let's stay out of jail. Um, so tell so, us, tell us about your campaign. Campaign I have launched today, which is oh, uh, that's hugely so exciting. exciting. So Congratulations! Time, thank you. By the time this goes out, um, hopefully we will have moved it on a little bit further. You'll um, be ruling the world, obviously. Obs. The, the campaign is called No Words, and that is for two reasons. One, because I don't think there's not a wide enough conversation about baby loss. People don't talk about it and I want to try and change that because yeah, I definitely. think that will help people who have lost a baby in countless ways because we're so terrified of saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. that we are so debilitated by that that we can't kind of find the right words we, so we say nothing a lot of people yeah, don't which is the worst thing um, and it's so isolating and I have been incredibly fortunate that that hasn't happened for me I have been surrounded by love and care and from family friends colleagues both of us have had fantastic conversations with our um, employers and our friends and family have just been unbelievable but not everybody is that lucky no that's um, true and I say lucky in inverted commas because obviously it's the, not lucky this is the it's exact opposite of lucky yeah, but yeah. we are very fortunate that we have this incredible network of people that have held us up and helped us find our way through it and what I want to do is break the silence um, and I yeah. use that hashtag repeatedly and unashamedly because I think we are really silent about baby loss um, yeah. and the more it is a subject that we talk about as a society as a country as just in in normal conversation the more we normalize the fact yeah. yeah the more we normalize the fact that this is happening one in four pregnancies ends in some kind of loss that is huge. So, and and for me, that any loss is a loss. You know, it, I, I, if you've lost in the first twelve weeks, or you've lost in your last tri- trimester, um, or even just after birth, it's all awful and it's all horrific. And the more we talk about it, the better it will be for people who are experiencing it, because yeah. people will be more able to talk to them. People will be more able to share their experience, and will be more comfortable with the right way. 
talk to them. Yeah. Because I think people do get so scared of saying the wrong thing, which I get because we're not, we're not helping, you know, people aren't given the tools and unless we give people the tools to make it better, it, it won't. It's such a catch 22 though, isn't it? Because we don't talk about it. So therefore we're afraid of saying the wrong thing. So we don't talk about it. So we're scared of saying the wrong thing yeah. because we don't talk about it. Yeah, it's this sort of terrible cycle that we need to we need to stop in its tracks and we need to make a difference. So yeah, the campaign is intended to do that. And as much as I love the Instagram baby loss community and the trying to conceive community who have been a huge support to me, one of the aims of this is to get the campaign outside of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, because I'd love for people to connect with all of us and learn from us and mm. therefore help support people that it happens to in in their wider circle. This is what we were saying the other day. This is not, you know, it's not some miscarriage, baby loss, pregnant, pregnancy loss, any kind of pregnancy loss is not a topic that should remain within a community of us kind of warriors. This is a subject that if you know a woman, you should know about. Yeah, absolutely. Opinion. Yeah, that's a yeah. great way of wording it. Because I think it, it makes such a difference that I've had conversations with some really senior professional working women who have talked about the fact they had miscarriages in the workplace and were too mm. shamed about what was happening or too embarrassed by what was happening to tell their employers and take themselves home. And that is madness. Mm. Mm. But if they knew about another colleague who had been through that, they wouldn't have felt so ashamed and Absolutely. would have been able to open up and, mm. and heal. And employers yeah. need to be given the tools to help that. And I know there's, there's quite a few things in place at the moment, but it's, it's all got to be a really noisy conversation from our yes. side of yeah. it in order to Absolutely. bring people in. We, yeah. It's time to switch the volume up and, and just make out. it normal conversation. Absolutely. A not, chatty conversation, not, not a hushed exactly. tones and you know, Oh, did you hear about, Oh, did you hear about yeah. you know if you're talking about it in that way you're becoming part of the problem yeah you, know, you're, you say yeah. miscarriage yeah <laughs> oh did you hear about yeah she had a miscarriage yeah. it's like which feels like the sort of thing that you saw like a dirty in a, word. yeah it feels like something that you might have seen in a scene in coronation street in the 60s or 70s yes. and actually there are places where we haven't moved on from that yeah um, we are better definitely we are better we're better in so many aspects of life you know in so many kind of situations we've come on so much yet some things seemingly revolving around a woman's body like periods and infertility and miscarriage and childbirth actually seems to be so secret still and I don't believe that anything about a woman's body should have to be kept secret if you want to keep it private absolutely of course that's your choice but it should be a choice yeah I think that really exists around the whole kind of mythical 12-week rule that um so many miscarriages happen in that first 12 weeks and I believe that actually that's perpetuated by the fact that we we're not allowed in inverted commas to talk about being pregnant until after the that point and that point only exists because at some point in the 80s they put in a 12-week scan at the end in the nhs and that viability scan became some Mm. sort of measure of when we're allowed to talk about um, and the fact it's called a viable pregnancy oh it's only viable if it's after 12 weeks well i'm sorry yeah (laughs) yeah the minute you see that pregnancy test it's it's a viable pregnancy all of a sudden yeah the moment you know you're pregnant 
for most people that leads to a lifetime of potential and you lose that whether you lose that baby at four weeks or whether you lose it at 40 weeks and I, I just think you know there's a real solidarity in shared experience absolutely um, no two experiences are identical but knowing that you can talk to someone about their experience who will understand you know you just there are times where you can chat to someone and and you don't have to explain the intricacies of it and that is Mm. hugely healthy and sadly the statistics say that there are 14 more people who have joined this shitty club today in the UK who are going to need someone to talk to Mm. and it's really important that we give them the voices and we you know we we enable the people in their lives to be able to support them better by relaying our experiences and that and I'm really passionate about that. So the No Words campaign is aimed to do just that. At the centre of it are some T-shirts with a great logo on. And the idea is that you buy a T-shirt, take a picture of yourself in it and share that on social media, tagging my at without Ottilie account and also using the hashtag No Words. And together we can really start to, to make a difference and get people talking. And I love the idea that maybe somebody might wear one of these T-shirts to the pub or out shopping mm-hmm. and someone will say no words what does that mean and yeah there we go there we, there we go, there we go. We'll, start new we'll start a conversation so absolutely my, oh. well we'll be wearing thank ours you, Katie. thank you thank you so thank you so so much for sharing your story your eloquence is completely amazing and i think you're a really really inspirational person yeah to have been through Seconded. what you've been through and still be willing to help others i think that's absolutely incredible thank you thank you so much thank you for for giving me the platform to share well i've actually finally managed to stop crying (laughs) yeah sorry about that i have that that ability these days sniff without sniffing sniff without (laughs) sniffing yeah thank you so much it's been absolutely lovely to talk to you and uh, we'll be following your campaign with so much force and so much love thank you seeing you in your t-shirt soon yes Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. So you can find Katie under the name Without Ottilie on Facebook and Instagram. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Cheerio for now. See you next week. Mm-hmm.